You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hi, everyone. This is Britta Glade, Director of Content and Curation for RSA Conference. Uh, we're getting ready for RSA Conference 2019 in San Francisco in a few short weeks and wanted to take this opportunity to preview what looks like an excellent new offering for RSA Conference this year, and that's a focus on public interest technology. And we have with us today Jenny and Bruce. Please introduce yourselves to our audience. Hi, um, I'm Jenny Toomey, and I work at the Ford Foundation, and I'm the International Director of Technology and Society there. Hi, and I'm Bruce Schneier, the veteran of many RSA conferences. Excellent. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce, you're well known to our audience. Thank you so much. Jenny, I'm going to direct the first question to you because Ford Foundation isn't necessarily well known to our audience, and yet you've been such a great motivator of so much good from a public interest standpoint. How did you get involved with this program? From Bruce, uh, you know, we actually have been collaborating with Bruce on a couple of projects, and we were able to host him at the Ford Foundation when his most recent book came out, and things have been going very well, and and he's been an incredible advocate around public interest technology, and when the RSA conference was coming up, he said, hey, I've got this crazy idea, we should do a track for a day, and uh, Michael Brennan, who's the program officer here at Ford uh, for uh, technology at Tech and Society, and I, and then Michelle Shevin, who's been organizing it, all got together and brainstormed what a perfect day would be, and we've managed to get something even better than we thought, so that's how. And to be fair, Excellent. the first thing they said was, what's the RSA conference? And then after <laughs> we... Uh, told them that this is our premier industry conference and the perfect place for this, it really came together. Excellent. Well, backing up a step, can you define for us public interest technology? What is this and why does our audience really need to pay attention? That's a great question, and I like they're going to do this interview in reverse entirely. So we're going to back (laughs) up to public interest tech, which is a broad catch-all phrase for the intersection of tech and policy. And a lot of us in the security community know that public policy is an intimate part of what we do. Turns out public policy is an intimate part of a lot of technology, a lot of policy problems in the 21st century have tech components. And what I want to highlight here in the, the series of panels are the different ways that we in the security community can get involved in public policy and, in a sense, need to get involved in public policy, that these policy decisions are affecting us, our industry, our security, and they're happening largely without our input, and and that's not working out very well. And I want to change that, and this is one way to, to start that process. Yeah, we've always seen RSA Conference as that intersection of the lawyers, the, you know, privacy has become an increasingly important part of the conversation, the technologists, the academics, the researchers, the business people. So it feels like a very natural, exciting place for this conversation to be taking place. Now, what do you expect as the end game for the participants who are listening and learning through the sessions that you're putting together? You know, I have a lot of end games in mind. I mean, to me, we really need to participate more in policy at, at many different levels. You know, some of us need to go work on legislative staffs and in federal agencies. And in fact, some of us are doing that. I mean, none of this is new or unheard of. 
just doesn't happen a lot. Some of us need to help on advisory committees at state levels uh, for NGOs. I'd like there to be, you know, looking out several years, to be a myriad of ways that we as technologists can get involved at the policy level. You know, some of us full-time, some of us part-time, some of us as sabbaticals. And I want there to be a very vibrant ecosystem, which is what we don't have now. And so a lot of what I'm doing this year is just raising awareness. Just the fact that we're doing it, we're having this podcast, reporters are writing about it. We'll have an entire day in a room at the RSA conference, six different panels, and something like 20 speakers. It feels like a big deal. It is a big deal, and you're putting a great spotlight on people who've given back to education, to government, to NPOs, and it's, it's a very interesting, and I would encourage the listeners, go to the RSA conference site. Um, we'll give you a link right here with the podcast. Look at this very rich, vibrant agenda and the cross-section of folks who are sharing their experiences. Um, Jenny, a question to you. Ford Foundation has historically done a lot from a public interest standpoint. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the work that Ford Foundation has done and why you see a particular opportunity here in the cybersecurity space? So when I came to the foundation, which was a little over 11 years ago, and we started a portfolio working specifically on Internet policy, it was interesting. I pulled all of the sort of the, the handful of very small groups who were working on Internet policy at that time together, and I said, if you had all the money in the world and you didn't have to worry about fundraising, what else do you need? And the first thing they all said is, like, we need more technologists that understand our issues and can work with us. So for a number of the first years that I was at Ford, we would try to find these technologists and figure out how we could get them to work with people who were policy experts or legal experts or advocates. Um, but it was very hard. And ultimately, we invested in a number of different studies to try to research the problem. The most interesting one is the first one that's called a future of failure. And it talked to the handful of people we had found who had successfully had careers where they had spent time in technology in the private sector and academia, uh, but also had done really significant work in the public sector as well, working at NGOs or working in government. And what they said uh, was there was, you know, like a hundred different reasons that technologists uh, fall out of a pipeline that would bring them to public service. And, you know, it was everything from code not starting in the public schools, so you didn't have a really diverse pool to have a representative group of technologists end up on the, the final end, um, through governments not knowing how to recruit and retain and attract the right kinds of technologists. But the thing that was most fascinating to me was the fact that um, technologists who were interviewed couldn't conceive of what a career in public service would look like. So for the last number of years, we've been funding all sorts of fellows programs to put technologists into congressional offices, into some of the biggest human rights and civil rights organizations. Um, and we've actually recruited technologists to sit at six different program sections at the Ford Foundation. So when program officers are thinking about making grants, they have someone with a technical lens sitting with them to say, you know, you're missing this. You've got a big blind spot here. Or, you know, that solution is going to fail and for this reason. So we've been learning, learning a lot about it. But the reason we were able to do this kind of stuff is because Ford actually played a really significant role in building the field of public interest law. And at this moment, it's hard to imagine that there was a time where there wasn't such a thing as a public interest lawyer and that it wasn't that long ago. But, you know, having Darren Walker as the president of the Ford Foundation and having that legacy of having built 
the field of public interest law with other people who invested in it really made it feel like it was possible. And as we've done this work, we've met all these incredible people, and Bruce is one of the ones who's most inspiring to us because he really does have such strong roots, you know, and at least three legs of the stool. You know, he's really strong academic roots, really strong private sector roots, and really, really strong advocacy in the public sector. And, you know, we want more and more people to see that their career can bring them into these different uh, realms and that they can do well, but also um, do good at the same time. And what Jenny's Excellent. talking yeah, about is actually broader than security, right? She's really looking at tech writ large. So we in security are just one piece of this. Uh, it's a critical piece, and, and we know that. So we're trying to bring that general focus of Ford to our industry. Excellent. Yeah, I was going to say roots and passion, and, and Bruce, you definitely have have the three legs of the stool and, and the passion to drive it forward. So, so to take me there, um, and I love the story that I heard about Ford Foundation and the the influence that has been happening in the legal community. You know, fifty years ago, no law school student going into the public sector now twenty percent with a lot of impact from Ford Foundation. Bruce, you saw that opportunity. You see that, and what can be done? The good that can be done for our industry. So so break that down for me. Break it down through what you're bringing to pass in the course of the track at RSA conference on Thursday, March the 7th. Well, sir, first let me fix that figure. The 20% is a percentage of the Harvard Law School graduating class. It is not the percentage of attorneys writ large. That would be awesome if it were, <laughs> but... Okay, so thank you, thank you for correcting that one. Okay, Harvard, which is a good pool to start with to look at, and then let's give ourselves another 50 years to take it to everywhere. Yeah, okay, thank you. It's a great pool of of very publicly-minded people, you know, going into law school. So what we're doing at the conference is we have six different panels over the course of Thursday uh, I actually don't know what room you put us in. It's probably some nowhere near everything else. So you got to go find it, but find it. It is right and in the heart and to... soul of everything. No, you're right uh, there, Moscone South. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Right. So it's no longer in the movie theaters or across town, another hotel. We are all in the Moscone Center. They've built it. It's done. Moscone Center, South and West, everything content-wise. And then... At the Marriott Marquis, we've got the sandbox. We've got innovation sandbox. So, yeah, it's, the construction okay. is done. Hallelujah. And, but and carry no on to your good track. Okay, sorry. No more construction. Sorry. So, okay, no more construction. Room is central. You'll find it. Uh, we have six panels highlighting different aspects of public interest tech. We have an opener and a closer, which will be general. We have a panel on public interest tech in the government, right? Obviously, ways you can work on legislative staffs or in federal agencies. Uh, We have a panel on public interest tech at NGOs, also kind of obvious. Cindy Cohn from EFF will be there and other uh, organizations that are doing public interest work at the advocacy level, the kind of organizations a lot of us give our money to. We have a panel on, on academia, different programs that blend tech and policy. And then we have a panel on working in Silicon Valley. You know, what can you do if you're an employee at a large internet company or, or just a, a large company that can do advocacy? And we have great examples of, of all of these. We have great people 
speaking on all of these issues. And I think it's going to be really exciting. I mean, I look at the list of speakers, and they are all inspiring, and they're all doing public interest tech in their own way. And one of the things I think is really obvious once you look at this space is there's not one model. There are many different ways of engaging and ways people are are doing this. And you said earlier that that RSA has uh, kind of always had a policy bent, and that's largely true. And we kind of born out of the clipper chip and the crypto wars of the mid-90s. But if you think about it, we tend to have policy panels on the main stage where policy people talk to us. It is rare that we get policy and tech people together on the stage. I think it's kind of interesting and indicative to you know, what's happening in our industry and all these industries. That tech and policy often talk to each other and too often past each other, and rarely with the same voice. And that's kind of what I want to highlight. Okay, Jenny, there's an opportunity here for people to get involved, to give back. Do you see a bigger opportunity here? Absolutely. And and what's interesting is some of the ways we've been talking about this is kind of a responsibility of technology to understand the way the tools and and systems they're building are actually having real-world effects. And and one way to do that is to be in completely different environments and see how, uh, you know, law is running into it and policy is running into it. Um, But what we found is that this is less of a kind of altruism from technologists and more of an opportunity to have a lot of fun. Some of our fellowships have taken really excellent technologists from the private sector who had, you know, great careers in the private sector into roles where they are working in congressional offices or working with, say, Amnesty International or working with the ACLU. And in these environments, what we find is that many of the technologists decide after spending a year there that it's actually more meaningful and they want to stay. Um, even though, that, you know, they may not be making the same amount of money, they may be working in more bureaucratic institutions that could kind of be frustrating at times, but that the impact of their work is so clear and, and there's so much low-hanging fruit and it's so necessary for them to be there. We had one technologist who we had put at the ACLU who then uh, was able to get a fellowship to go and work at a congressional office. And when I had lunch with him to ask how things were going, he said he's found his mission and that he expects to keep the job that he has for the next 10 years. And, you know, it's, it's maybe not for everybody, but I think a lot of people will be surprised, particularly this moment where so many of the jobs within companies uh, involve supporting systems as opposed to creating systems. Um, that can be rewarding and exciting, but, you know, it's also rewarding and exciting taking those skills and really, like, working on something about how do you solve a problem of getting more veterans their health benefits in a more efficient and faster way, or uh, how do you make sure that the algorithms that are going to be used by this specific agency are going to not create bias or other problems going down the line. And so these are really, really tricky, interesting questions. And people who are curious, I've seen it over and over again, uh, they really get excited about doing this kind of meaningful work. So on behalf of every listener uh, at this podcast, I'm about to ask you, is that Chris Segoyan you're talking about? <laughs> I'm not sure I should say. His name rhymes with Sheboygan. <laughs> okay. All right. That is nicely encrypted, and now everybody will is confused. Uh, and I look at it, let me tell you it this way. I'm right now teaching at the Harvard Kennedy School. I'm teaching Internet security 
technology and policy at a school of government, which is kind of bizarre and kind of awesome. But if you think about it, the Kennedy School was founded, I think, in the 1970s. And in the 20th century, the critical problem of society was how much of our lives should be governed by the market and how much by the state. And that really defined politics. And that's why the Kennedy School was populated with economists, because they could answer that question. In this century, I think the fundamental question is how much of our lives will be governed by technology and under what rules? And that's why I think places that teach policy need to have technologists. We are going to have to figure out the rules of the century. And a lot of them hit cybersecurity at the consumer protection level all the way up to the uh, international relations level. And it's going to get weirder when you throw in autonomy and robotics and AI and all those things that's going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years. So it's going to get even more interesting and more exciting and more rewarding. It's interesting as we were reviewing the um, the submissions that come in for RSA conference, the call for speaker process, and there was quite a bit of discussion about communication and talking past each other. And we've gone through the cycles of communicating to the board and what matters to them and how do they want to see things and all. But you're adding even another layer of how we need to understand so that we can have the right conversation with the right people and also impact the right conversations at the right levels. So excellent, excellent. Because policies come into our industry. We are going to be regulated. We start building computers that kill people, we're getting regulated. And the question is, are we part of that conversation, or is the regulation going to be made by people who don't understand how Facebook makes money? I can corroborate what you're saying there, uh, Bruce, because it's interesting. You know, when I go back to that that research I talked about, the future of failure, where we sort of mapped out all the different places that people fall out of a pipeline, um, and we thought about what kinds of fellowship programs we wanted to design to make a case that this is meaningful work, this is successful. If you put a technologist here, it's going to create all of these incredibly positive benefits. But this one piece we couldn't get to a number of years ago when we were first thinking about this was what about the private sector? Because, you know, in, in public interest law, it's very common that someone will come out of law school. Maybe they'll have an internship. Maybe they'll work at a legal defense fund. Maybe they'll go and they'll do pro bono law and, you know, do some cases uh, out of a white shoe law firm. There's a way to be in the private sector for a period of your career, in the public sector for a period of your career, maybe in private practice. But the question is, do those correlate in the technology environment? And the one place we couldn't really cover was the private sector. We we didn't know what the Ford Foundation could do to encourage a technology company to want to have more, you know, humanities hybrid technologists in their design teams. And what's amazing is, is some of these very, very big and controversial problems with technology that have showed up in the mainstream arena in the last two years has made it very clear. And I've had conversations with CTOs of very, very large companies who say, you know, we never thought about having public interest technologists, but, uh, you know, if, if there was a pipeline of them, you know, I'd want to hire 20 of them right now. 
because we know we need them in our engineering teams. We need to move some of our technologists into our more uh, policy strategy teams. We need more of a hybrid understanding in all the realms where our company is working. And and it's going to be exciting to see how these technologists get to bounce into these different worlds over the next couple of years. Right. And and, uh, John Callis, another member of our community, has now left Apple to go to the ACLU. He has Chris Segoyan's job for the next two years, and he sees this as a sabbatical. He fully expects to go back to industry, you know, at Apple or another company, and that his experience at the ACLU will be valued by his new employer. So we're going to take, we're going to motivate, we're going to open eyes for people to the opportunity. Obviously, this discussion is not a a one-and-done kind of thing. How are you going to make long-term folks aware of and able to easily connect to the opportunities? Are you putting together some additional resources, places to point people to, you know, a site you can look at, find things? What's next? What's beyond March 7th? So you ask a good question because we do need a lot of that ecosystem. I mean, and there are pieces of it in place, but, you know, we still need more of it, places where the supply can meet the demand. You know, I get regularly asked by people, how can I help? And there aren't enough places to put them. So, you know, we need to do a lot of different things. The report I like, Jenny uh, mentioned a future of failure report twice. There's another report board commissioned by the same consulting company called A Pivotal Moment. And they list like 30 different interventions generally in this public interest tech space that need to happen. And I stare at that list and I say, yep, that's what we got to do. It's a whole bunch of stuff. And, and I, I like all the different initiatives at Ford and, and also at, at MacArthur and some other organizations that are trying to, to make this whole ecosystem come into being. So the beginning of a journey here, the beginning of opening minds, opening eyes, inspiring attendees. Our College Day students will be participating as well. College Day is uh, the 7th and the 8th of March at RSA Conference, where we'll welcome in any college students in the area who want to attend. So thank you. This is a, I need to clear the slate of everything I have planned to do and, and on my schedule that day to attend because you have put together um, a, an amazing group of people. So thank you. I'm so pleased that you were able to let us do this and to put so much work into letting this be such a good thing. And, you know, and, and I've been to these kinds of events before in, in other fields. And, you know, you're lucky if you get, like you say, one plenary or, you know, one conference, uh, you know, panel, as opposed to something that actually shows all of the sort of inputs and outputs uh, that we're seeing in public interest technology. So thank you for, for being so generous with this slot for us. And we're really excited. It's going to be great. Oh, you're welcome. And we're thrilled to be bringing this content to our attendees at RSA Conference. We're thrilled that we're going to be capturing it as well so that those who aren't physically in the room will have the opportunity to benefit from the great conversation that will be taking place, the the leading voices that you've put together, the the individual use cases as, as well as those collective discussions that will be happening. And, and hopefully everyone in there will leave with an idea of something they individually can do and collectively within organizations. So thank you all so much for your leadership, for your work, for being here on this podcast. And we look forward to seeing many of our listeners 
together with us at this track on Thursday the 7th of March in San Francisco.